It is good, isn't it, to be in God's house? To worship Him and to praise Him and to be able to make these kinds of commitments that we make to the children He blesses us with. And it's good as well to be here to hear His Word for our life. And this morning on this Labor Day weekend, I think we have a message that uh, speaks to all of us who live life in this culture. And the title of this message is, Life's Too Short to Work All the Time. And I have to be honest with you and tell you that when uh, some of the people who know me well heard that I was preaching on this topic, they just tended to laugh hilariously. (laughs) And one of them even said, physician, heal thyself. (laughs) But uh, lest you think that I'm preaching on something I'm not learning about myself, uh, as Vanessa could attest to, if she were to get up and speak with you this morning, she would uh, let you know that uh, God has been dealing uh, with me on this for a number of years. And last year, she and I went and spent several days up in Nebraska at that counseling center where a lot of our people go to deal with uh, issues that they're struggling with in life. And, and we went because I, I said, I got to figure out what's driving me. What's going on in me that's leading to this? And, and while we were there, God spoke truth into my life. And he began to uh, reveal to me this fear of failure that, that I've had as a result of some things from my past. And And as we began to work through that and and then come back and live into that, uh, she'll honestly tell you, I've actually cut a lot of hours out of my work schedule. I'm not here as much late at night. uh, And and i got to be honest and say, hey, I'm still a work in progress, just as we all are in the areas of our lives that we wrestle with. But this morning on this Labor Day weekend, as you and I take a break from our labor, uh, and uh, from what it is that we do for work, I want to share with us some truths that that I've been learning over the years and have learned especially this last year about uh, from God's Word about how life's too short to work all the time. Now, uh, as we think about that in this day and age that we live in, we all know that we live in a world where companies and corporations and businesses are trying to do more and get more production from their workers but do it with less of a workforce. And, uh, and as a result, a lot of people, and many of you here today, are working a lot more hours than maybe you used to. And, and you know, I find all of this very interesting because I'm old enough to remember the stir that was created uh, back in 1967 when expert testimony was given to a subcommittee of the United States Senate that said that labor-saving technology was going to change the way we Americans worked. <laughs> In fact, that testimony said that within 20 years, by 1987, people in the United States would be working, on average, only 32 weeks a year. (laughs) And they said that many would only be working 22 hours a week, and a lot of people would be able to retire by the time they're 40 years old. (laughs) All because of this labor-saving technology that was being developed. And so the testimony was given before Congress that the number one challenge you and I in America were going to face in 19, by 1987 was what to do with our excess time. It is some 26 years after 1987. And let me ask you, is the number one challenge you face in your life what to do with your excess time? Uh, you know, by far, people here in our community and, and that I talk with in our church, one of the more frequent concerns I hear is, is from people who are struggling with the time issue in their life. People are working all kinds of hours and we've got all kinds of other activities we've added to our schedule and the pace of life is just crazy for a lot of people. Now, the issue of all of the activities we 
have going on in our life is probably a message for another morning. But, but this morning, let's look at this idea of our work and, and overworking and, and how life is just too short to work all the time. Now, as we jump into this, uh, I, I want you to understand that, that I'm not saying that work is a bad thing. Work, in fact, is a good thing. God has gifted us. God has put abilities within us that he wants us to use for his glory and, and as we do our work. And so whatever it is that you do for work, whatever job you have out in the marketplace or whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you are working at home, whether uh, you're one who uh, does ministry in, in the church, whatever it is, God wants us to do our best. At the same time, God wants us to be sure that there's balance in our life. And so this morning, uh, if you want to follow along in the message notes that are there in the uh, worship guide and you want to fill in some blanks, we're going to look this morning and focus on two words that are in the Bible, two words uh, that are concepts that you and I don't hear much about in our culture today. Uh, They're not words we tend to use, but they are important words for us to understand if we are going to get it right as we live life. And the first word that you can fill in the blanks there in the message notes is the word abound. It is the word abound. And this is a letter that Paul uses oftentimes in his, uh, in his letters. And, and he talks about it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where in verse 58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. The Revised Standard Version translates this by saying, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because you know, he says, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so the first idea that we want to focus on this morning is, is, is this phrase, give ourselves fully, or, or as some translations say, always abound. And, and, and what does this word that Paul uses mean? mean? What, what does abound mean? Well, well, this is one of Paul's favorite words, and what it means literally is to excel in, or to have a tremendous energy for. And so what he's saying is he wants us to have energy for, he wants us to excel in the work that God has given us to do. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the uh, translation uh, or the paraphrase called The Message, translates this verse by saying, throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time and effort. Throw yourselves into the work, he says. And in another place in the Bible, Paul says something very similar to this. And, and he doesn't just apply it to our spiritual work, but he also applies it to our earthly work as well. As in Colossians 3, verse 23, he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever your job is, work at it with all your heart, as though working for the Lord and not for men. And what he's saying here is the idea is that God has given all of us work to do. And, and whether it's something we get paid to do or not, uh, it, it doesn't matter whether we work uh, outside uh, or we work inside in an office or in a factory, whether you're a student in the school systems here around in our communities, uh, wherever it is, whatever it is that we do, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, God wants us to be creative. He wants us to create. He wants us to produce. He wants us to contribute value. And so no matter what we do, he's, he's saying in his word, I want you to excel at what you do. I want you to abound in what you do. I want you to develop your gifts and your talents and your abilities. And I want you to develop them to the fullest potential that you're capable of. I want you to discover the passion he's saying that you're wired for. I want you to make a difference in the world. I want both your work in the church and your work in the marketplace. I want all that you do, he says, to be done for my glory. 
That's God's desire. And Paul talks about that here in Colossians 3. He talks about it also earlier in 1 Corinthians. Uh, in chapter 10, verse 31, he says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, now I want to say this is not just the New Testament church or Christian principle. This is a life principle. This is a principle that goes back to the beginning of time. This is a this is a, a, a creation principle, as we see when God created us to work and to produce. But, but it's also a, an Old Testament principle. As in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, Whatever you, your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave, he says, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. He's saying here, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, what he's saying is, don't just simply punch a clock. Don't just simply do your time at work. Don't, don't do what we used to, you know, the way we used to describe guys in the Marine Corps when we were there who were older and they were kind of on their way out. We said, hey, they had gone road. You know, they had gone retired on active duty. But right up to the end, he's saying, do your work with all your might. You know, have you ever been in a place where people are not abounding in their work, where, where they're not doing it with all your, their, their might? I remember a few years ago uh, uh, reading a story about the Chicago Cubs. And those of you that follow the Cubs or know about the Cubs, you know that, uh, you know that they're not exactly the best team in baseball. They've gone the longest without winning a championship. And it kind of was humorous to read an article uh, about how the manager several years ago had to call a team meeting because one of the players had fallen asleep during the game. <laughs> Talk about abounding, right? Yeah. And uh, not exactly abounding. And, and, you know, we see that going on in the workplace as well. I mean, recently I went to a restaurant and I got to tell you, the place wasn't exactly pulsating with energy or initiative or creativity or joy. In fact, I, I think most of those people, it, it had been a long time since they'd read Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Yeah. Folks, a writer of Ecclesiastes and Paul in these verses are describing a picture, not of a, a casual, comfortable labor that we offer uh, whenever we feel like it because we're in a good mood. God wants you and me to be honestly able to say at the end of the day and at the end of our life, Lord, I abounded in what it was that you called me to do. I abounded in the work you gave me to do. It may not have been perfect. It, it, it may not have looked impressive in the world's eyes. But as far as I could, I used every ounce of potential energy you gave me to make a difference in your world. You see, the scripture is calling us today to abound, to throw ourselves into our jobs, to, to throw ourselves into ministry and the mission that God gives us in, his, in this life. And, and when we do that, he says, we are glorifying God. We're honoring him by being a good steward of those abilities and those gifts that he's given us. Well, having focused on this word abound, we want to focus on another word this morning because that is what helps us keep all of this in balance. Because you see, while God wants us to abound in our work, he doesn't want us working all the time. Uh, doing our best in whatever we put our hand to doesn't mean we have to do it for 80 hours a week. And so there's another word in the scripture that is used, and that is the word abide. And that brings balance to all of this. And, and, and it's used by Jesus in a number of places. But in John 15, chapter 15, verse 4, he says this to his followers. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you bear fruit by yourself unless you abide in me. 
Abide in me, he says. And you see what the Bible is saying to us this morning is not only are we to abound in our work, but we are also to abide. And, uh, and, and this too is an important uh, concept for us to grasp and to understand. And, and what does that word abide mean? Well, well, literally it means to dwell with. It, it means to linger over. Some of your translations, uh, particularly the NIV, says to remain. And so what Jesus is talking about when he talks about us abiding is that he wants us to live in, in an intimate, unhurried, growing, loving kind of relationship with God. What he's saying here is that the Christian life isn't about religion. The Christian life is about a relationship where you and I spend time in an unhurried kind of fashion, growing in our walk with the Lord, getting to know him, spending time with him, so that that relationship that we have with him then comes and overflows into our life and it impacts all of our words and our thoughts and our actions. And so folks, if if you and I are going to do this, if we're going to abide in the way Jesus calls us to, in the Gospels, then, then there, we, we've got to be doing some things in our life. And, and it means, first of all, we've got to be a person of prayer. A person who takes time to have some honest, heart-to-heart conversations with God. Abiding means being a person who, who spends quality time in God's Word on a regular basis so that our hearts and our minds and our lives are formed more by Scripture than they are by the television. Abiding means being authentic people who, who don't just skim over the issues we've got going on in our lives, but, but we get honest with God and we spend time with Him and we allow God to begin to drill down into our lives and begin to deal with the stuff that we've got going on. Those of you who have been around here a while know I've shared in the past how about 30 some odd years ago I was wrestling with pornography and, and I needed to let God deal with me in that. And, and to do that, I had to spend time with Him. And about 15, 20 years ago, God began to deal with anger issues in my life. And most recently, he's been speaking into my uh, life some truth about my drivenness. And, and I'm learning that, that abiding doesn't mean that you and I go through life living this driven, uh, obsessed pace in a world that just, I mean, the world that's just going crazy. I mean, wouldn't you agree that the pace of life in our world today is pretty nuts? I mean, it just seems to be accelerating all the time and, and the plates that we're spinning sometimes seem to, to just spin faster. And, and, and every one of us experiences that, don't we? We all experience that. I mean, we see proof of that and how businesses are even trying to get us to buy into that. They're trying to work with us on that and, and our desire to get things done more quickly. An example of that happened several years ago when Denny's, I don't know if you've ever eaten at a Denny's, but Denny's restaurants experienced a, an explosion in their business when they had this campaign that said they would serve lunch to you in 10 minutes or lunch was free. <laughs> and Pizza Hut even began to follow suit a while ago. If you remember that, Denny's and Pizza Hut, they'd, they'd bring that little timer to your table. And, and if they didn't serve you lunch within 10 minutes, your lunch was free. Domino's shortly after that became the number one seller of pizza in America when they guaranteed that they would get the pizza to your door in 30 minutes. <laughs> pizza delivery in 30 minutes guaranteed. Tom Monahan, the CEO of Domino's, said, we don't sell pizza, we sell delivery. And if you have ever had a Domino's pizza, you know he's right. <laughs> Now, the last service, we had someone here that worked for Domino's, so 
If you work for Domino's, I'm just kidding, just joking. Now, now USA Today had uh, followed up on that, and, and they had an article about a hospital in Detroit, the city where the Domino's Corporation is headquartered. And this hospital began to take their cue from Domino's, and they advertised that they would guarantee emergency room patients would be seen in 20 minutes, or the treatment was free. And the article said, so far, Doctor's Hospital has delivered. Since making that guarantee, business has been up 30%. Now, they didn't say if the mortality rate's gone up 100%, but, but business is up. And, you know, recently there was a, a, a national grocery store chain that began uh, experimenting with putting video monitors on their shopping carts because people were complaining about how long it would take them to get into the store and find what it was that they wanted. And so they began putting video monitors on the cart so that people could punch in what they wanted. They could go immediately to where they needed to go, get in and get out as fast as they could. You know, it, it just amazes me. They put that stuff on a cart and they can't get the wheels to turn right in those things. You know? But, but you know, speaking of getting food more rapidly and more quickly, it was some 45 years ago, wasn't it, that a new kind of restaurant became popular in the American culture. And that restaurant, uh, uh, for the first time in our history, sold food not on the basis of quality, not on even the basis of price, but rather on the basis of which it, uh, the speed in which that food could be served. And we coined a phrase for that new kind of restaurant. What is it? Fast food. That's right. Not good food, not cheap food, but fast food. And, you know, even with fast food restaurants... What they discovered was people were still unhappy because they had to get, go park their car. They had to get out of their car. And so they had to walk into the restaurant. They had to purchase their food and sit down and eat it. And so as a result, in response to that, they invented what? Drive through lanes. That's right. So the families could eat in our cars as God intended us to. You know? <laughs> but, you know, I don't know about you. When, I, when our kids were little, I found it was a great deal because when the kids were hungry, all they had to do was scrounge around in the seats for the leftover fries they had spilled. <laughs> You know, you know, folks, now we've got fax machines and microwaves and email and Facebook and gas stations where we, you know, pay at the pump all so that we can move through life faster, get more done, work longer hours. And I say to us this morning in the midst of it, what does it mean in the midst of all of that to abide? What does it mean to abide? Well, abide means having the kind of unhurried, intimate relationship with God that Jesus speaks of and that we talked about a few moments. But out of the overflow of that, abiding also means that we savor all of the love and the mystery that we can in our marriage. It means being a really good mom and dad and spending relaxed and unhurried time with our children so that we can simply relate with them. It means having deep, life-giving friendships with our closest of friends. And of course, all of that comes out of the overflow of living life in the, in, in, in the way of Psalm 23, where the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, and He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Why? So He can restore our soul. So you see what the Scripture is teaching us today is that on the one hand... We're to abound and we're to throw ourselves into the work that God has given us. We're to grow. We're to risk. We're to leave everything on the field and give it our best effort. But on the other hand, we're to abide. We're to devote ourselves to doing what's necessary to live with Jesus in an intimate, unhurried kind of loving relationship that impacts our other relationships as well.
And so in the midst of this teaching that the Bible is giving to us, I want to ask us this morning, how is it that we get to that place of balance? How is it that we learn to balance the tension between the time abounding in our work and abiding in Christ? How do we get there, especially in our culture of busyness and in our culture where, where workaholism is the one form of codependent behavior that our culture lifts up and models and says, hey, it's okay. It's okay to live your life with that kind of codependent behavior. Well, to get a picture of how Jesus maintained this balance, I encourage you to uh, join with me in looking at Mark chapter 1 this morning. And, uh, and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along here on the screen or in the Version app that we have uh, available. And to set the context of this, what has gone on earlier is that Jesus has been baptized. He has been commissioned by God the Father to go out and begin his work, to begin to go out and abound in the ministry that God has called him to do. And yet it's interesting that before he goes out and he abounds, the very first thing he does is he goes out into the wilderness called by God to abide with God out in the wilderness, to be still before him and to pray. I think that's a good model for us, spending time with God before we go out and abound in our work. And finally he goes out and he starts his work and people from all over the region are coming to him and his work is draining and so we're told, what is the pattern of his life? Well, beginning in verse 35, we read this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In other words, before he went out to abound in his work, he went and he got alone with God in quiet solitude, and he spent some time abiding with him. And it's interesting. What does the world re- how does the world respond to it? Well, Peter and some of his followers go off to look for him. And it says here in the next verse, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. (laughs) In other words, Jesus, we couldn't find you. We've got work to do. You know, if it was in today's day and age, they'd be saying, hey, how come you turned your cell phone off? How come you're not on your email? Where's your electronic leash, Jesus? And yet it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say just say, oh, back off. I'm going to spend the rest of the day abiding. No, he then goes and he abounds. See, he keeps it in balance. He replies, let's go somewhere else to nearby villages so that I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. And the Bible says in verse 39, he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You see, Jesus chooses to abound in his work. But before he does, he spends time abiding with his heavenly father. He experiences the tension between the two. And he did all throughout all of his life. He experienced that tension and yet he kept it in balance. And I got to say to us today that that tension is going to always be in your life and mine. As long as we live life in this culture of busyness and in this world that seeks to distract us away from a relationship with God, that tension is never going to go away. And so like Jesus, we've got to be working at having balance in our life. And, and, and like Jesus, we've got to make it a lifelong effort. And, and that means that as seasons in our life change and as kids move into different stages of life and activities change, we may have to readjust our schedules. We may have to do some things at different times. But ultimately what it's saying is that in our culture of work and of busyness and of activity, we've got to make those adjustments. If we want to 
keep that tension in balance. Well, what are some practical steps that we can take then in order to do that? What are some things we can do in our life in order to be able to keep all this stuff in balance? Well, if you're following along in the message notes, you see some steps there to help us abide as we abound. And the first step I think we've got to take is is you and I have got to make an intentional choice to slow the pace of our life. Before we do anything else, we've got to slow down the pace of our life and not always be working and not always in a hurry because we have so much to do. In other words, we've got to intentionally decide to do less. We've got to be willing to at times use that two-letter word, you know, no. Because let's face it, most activities that we've got that are out before us are really good activities. There are a lot of things we can do in life that are good, but we can't do it all or the plate just gets filled to overflowing. And so sometimes we've got to say no. You know, uh, uh, they've done a lot of research on something called hurry sickness. And uh, in your message notes, I've placed eight questions there. And we don't have time to go through those questions this morning. But I want to ask you to go home and take those uh, with you. And sometime today or tomorrow, sometime in the next few days, sit down and go through these questions that came as a result of the research that they did and ask yourselves these questions. And I've got to say, be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. And, and if you find that like four or more of these are true for you, then, then there's a pretty good chance that the abiding factor in your life is not where it needs needs to be. This is a good indicator that you need to slow down. I read this week a funny story about another indicator that this guy needed to slow down. Uh, It's a story uh, that I read about the uh, guy who is an engineer at Purdue University. And over the summer when it's grilling season, he got real impatient about the amount of time it took for his charcoal briquettes to heat up so he could cook his food. And, And so he decided that what he would do would pump pure oxygen into the grill. Get it to light a little faster. And you know, it worked so well that he decided to take another step. And he decided to put into his grill liquid oxygen. And if you know anything about liquid oxygen, that's what they use in the space shuttle to boost the rockets. And that worked pretty well too. (laughs) Took out the briquettes in the grill in three seconds. And when the fire department came by, Uh, after they were called and they asked him what happened, he goes, you know, it was pretty bright. You almost didn't want to look at it. I bet it was. And and I bet it burnt up his food too, like a burnt offering. But hey, you know, took him three seconds to make dinner. (laughs) Folks, the problem with our society is not just that we are hurried and frenzied all the time. But the problem is too, that we glorify that kind of behavior, don't we? I know I got caught in that trap. You know, it's like it's some kind of honor to be exhausted and fatigued and overwhelmed by commitments. You know, some kind of, you know, it's a deception. It's kind of this deception that somehow we matter because of what we do. Now, I am not saying that work is a bad thing. God created us to work and he created us to produce and he created us to contribute to the well-being of society. But God's design got all messed up as a consequence of mankind's sin and the curse and the fall. And oftentimes Satan uses that to get us to buy into the lie that that busyness and activity somehow shows the world our self-worth and esteem. When all the while God says, hey, our self-esteem and our worth comes from our relationship with him and others. 
And you know, I found in my own life that when we blur the lines between abounding in the work God gives us to do and workaholism, then Satan wins. He wins. You and I cannot take our work with us to heaven. The only thing we can take with us to heaven is people. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And God didn't intend for you and me to live all of our life eating and breathing work. He intended for us to spend significant, unhurried time with Him and others. And i got to say to us this morning, it, it, it begins by making an intentional choice to slow the pace of life. Well, having said that, the next step that we need to take in order to keep all this in balance is there some... A second step, and, and that is uh, this uh, arranging of our life around activities that help us to abide as we abound. And, uh, and we don't have time this morning to get into depth in these, but I just want to highlight them and invite you to take these notes home and, and look at these scriptures and pray through them. But, but, but one of the practices that the early church and the Christians throughout all ages have built into their lives that helps them abide so that they can abide as they abound is this principle of Sabbath time. And, and God talks about it in Exodus 20 and it's elsewhere in the scripture. But what's going on here, you see, is that God knows that working all the time and being busy all the time is going to wreck not only our physical health, but it wrecks our ability to abide. And so he intentionally says, hey, take a full day a week where you get away from the busyness of work and the daily routines. Use it as a day to worship me and come together with my people and worship together and and then go out from there and rest and take time to develop relationships with family and friends. And, And you know, if we violate that, we just aren't going to abide. When you and I try to work and do activities seven days a week and go from church on a Sunday afternoon and then go out and work the rest of the day and not have a Sabbath day, it just doesn't work. Not in God's economy. And I know, I've got to be honest with you, I wrestle with this thing because of my job and some of you wrestle with it because of your jobs too. And, and maybe like me, you've got to have somebody in your life who's holding you accountable. I meet with a group of guys one morning a month. I meet with another group of guys one day a week and I've told them, hey, hold me accountable in this. Ask me how it's going. You see, God wants us to be living life doing Sabbath time because it goes a long way in helping us Abide as we abound. And then another practice to arrange our life around is times of solitude. And and we saw that in Mark chapter 1. You can look at that in Luke chapter 4 as well. And what that means is there's got to be a time during the course of our week or, or at least a month where we are really taking some time to get away from all of the craziness and the busyness and the activities of life. And, and I got to tell you, it's not an easy thing to do. I remember a number of years ago when I made that decision to, to, to take a day a month where I would go to a place like Living Water Ranch or someplace where I could just get alone with God. I, I said, okay, when a free day comes along, I'm going to take it. <laughs> Guess how long it took for that free day to come along? It didn't. And so I found that I had to open up my calendar and, and block out a day a month in advance. If I waited for a free day to show up, it wasn't going to happen. Now, I got to say, I don't do this perfectly. I don't want to come off as saying that. 
but, but I do have to say, I, I, I've begun to get ruthless about scheduling some solitude time in my schedule and, and even taking a week every year and going to a Catholic retreat center where, where I spend a week alone with God and, and, and with a spiritual director who, who speaks truth into my life and then the rest of the day is spent just praying in a time of silent prayer and walking with God. I want to tell you, it's, it's it honestly, it's the best week of my life. It's the best week of my year. And, 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 and through the centuries, Jesus and his followers got quite intentional about this, about taking times of solitude. And then lastly, there is that third practice that we can build our life around that will help us to abide. And that is the discipline of assembly. And, and what I'm talking about here is what happens on Sunday morning when you and I come into this worship center and we gather with one another and we worship the Lord together. And it's what happens when we go to our Sunday school classes and we learn and we grow. And it's what happens when we get together during the week with a small group, whether it be a life group or a men's group or a women's group or like for my wife, the choir where they come together on Wednesday nights and they spend time in God's word and they pray for each other and they fellowship together and they serve. The early church believers took this seriously. Go home and read Acts 2 and see how they came together for these kinds of activities. And folks, I got to say to us, this wasn't stuff they just tacked into their, onto their schedule after like all the other stuff that was important. This was stuff they started with the first day of the week, right? Sunday. The first day of the week, they started with it and they arranged their lives around it. Because you see, they were convinced that without a steady diet of being alone with God and being with others in worship and, 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 and listening to teaching from God's word and worshiping and prayer and fellowship, they didn't stand a chance to be able to abide in God's love so that they could then go out and abound in the work he had given them. And just as that was true for them, I think it's no less true for us today. And so I want to encourage us as believers in Jesus Christ to, to follow those words of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, where, where the scripture says, hey, don't neglect the gathering together of, uh, of believers, but, but meet together encourage each other, help each other live your life in Christ. Because one day Jesus is coming back again. And we want to be able to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your heavenly rest. And so I encourage you, arrange your life around worship times and fellowship times. Arrange your schedule around when a life group might meet or a small group that you're a part of. And if you want to be part of a life group, we've placed Pastor Mark's contact information uh, in the worship guide, uh, in those message notes, and you can get a hold of him and, and get involved in a life group. Because friends, we need Sabbath time. We need times of solitude. And we need times where we gather together with God's people if we are going to truly abide. And you know, that's my prayer for all of us. It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me in my life. That, that one day when we come before God, we are going to hear him say, hey, you know, you abounded in my work. You took risks. You dreamed really big dreams. You rolled up your sleeves. You sacrificed some of your own personal agenda and comfort zone to abound in the work that I gave you to do. 
But you kept it in balance as well and you abided in my love. You walked in intimacy with me and you formed authentic community with other people and you formed really deep relationships with them and you worshiped together and you learned together and you prayed together and through it all your life was transformed increasingly into the kind of person I designed you to be. And I want to hear the words and I want you to hear those words from Jesus. Hey, you abounded in your work and you abided in my love. Way to go. Way to go. And enter now then into your heavenly rest. And you know, I hope that God can say that one day about your life and I hope He can say it one day about my life. And he can one day say it about the life of this church family. Let's stand for closing prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us and given us this life and that you want us to go about and abound in the work that you have given us to do. And also abide in the love and the relationship that you want with us. God, I know that this is often a difficult tension for us to navigate. And so we ask that you would help every one of us in this room to structure our lives. To arrange our lives wisely so that we can abound and we can abide with you. Lord, I know that this is an area of my own life that I wrestle with at times. And I know that there are others here who have also at times let their life be out of balance as well. Help us, Lord. As we take these message notes home with us this week and we take time with them and we take time with you and we let you speak to us about the changes that we know we need to make so that we can abound in our work and we can abide with you. Father, we pray that you would change our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name and through the power of your Holy Spirit. And all God's people in agreement said, Amen. Amen.